We're going to continue in worship here with the word for you. Today we we continue this series on the walk as we talk about five spiritual practices that will guide us in our walk with Jesus. We talked last week about the first practice, worship and prayer. We saw how worship is simply a way to say thank you to God. It's a practice we can do alone or with others. And if we do worship with others, there's a long list of benefits that comes with that. We feel better. We are healthier. We live longer, all kinds of things. When we worship alone, it can be in the form of prayer or as simple as writing in a gratitude journal, thanking God for what we have. One doctor said if gratitude were a drug, it would be the best-selling drug in the world because of all the incredible effects it has on our bodies. So worship with us here in the church on a weekly basis and worship on your own in prayer and offering thanks to God. This is how we grow spiritually. It's just like physical exercise. If you work out, exercise daily, even just go for a walk every day, you'll be in better shape. You'll be more prepared for the challenges ahead. We do the same thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. Our workout is spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that build us up and make us more ready for the challenges ahead. So let's dive into today's scripture. First, we have a story of some people that will do anything to get their friend to see Jesus. This is the story of the paralytic from the Gospel of Luke. One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting near, uh, sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Should sins are forgiven you? Or to say, stand up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to you, the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen strange things today. And from 1 Timothy three, fourteen through 17, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. I invite you to join me in our prayer of preparation. May the words of my mouth and, and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. 
Responding to someone calling your name seems like one of the most basic things you can do, but it's not automatic. If you missed last week, you may know that I have a new baby in the house. My wife, Emily, and I took classes a year ago to potentially be foster parents, and last week on Monday, we finally got our call. A tiny baby was in the hospital in need of a family to care for her. Of course, one of the first things we did was ask what her name was, and the answer was a total surprise to us. The baby had no name. They referred to her as simply Baby Girl. Strangely enough, that is the same name as my mother's cat. So there it is. But when we got to the hospital, they told us about the doctors and nurses that had been working with our little baby girl. They thought it was unnatural to have a baby with no name, so they started calling her Natalia Rose. Emily liked that, especially the Rose part, and said, let's call her Rosie. Now, technically, it's up to the judge to name her or whoever may adopt her when she's older, but for now, her name is Rosie. That's what we call her when we talk to her or sing to her. That's what we call her when we pray for her. That's what we call her when she's falling asleep in our arms. Although, actually, we we call her more often Dozy Rosie then, uh, but it's pretty much the same thing. And every time we call her name, we hope it will be the time that she looks up and smiles at us. Every time we sing to her, we hope it's the time she will call out Dada or Mama. We want her to respond to us. We want her to listen to us and pay attention. Now, of course, at such a young age, the opposite is usually true. Usually, she is the one demanding our attention, whether it's time for a bottle, a nap, or a diaper change. She is telling us, look, you people, it's time to pay attention to me, to my needs. But as she grows... As she matures, we look forward to the time where she can listen and respond to us, where a relationship begins. And I know the lambs, they love, they are so in love with this relationship that they're developing as their little baby girl grows. It won't be just one person doing everything for another. Instead, it will be mutuality. It will be the give and take of mutual dependence, of reciprocity of cooperation and understanding and we call this communion that's the same thing we want with god and this i think is the starting place of our relationship with god jesus says that he is the good shepherd and the sheep follow him because they know his voice and that comes from john 10 4 Now, when Jesus says this to the disciples, they don't understand. So he goes on to explain that he is the gate and the sheep can only be saved when they are protected by him and that he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. That will only make sense to them after he is crucified on the cross. And they realize Jesus has died so that they might have life. But the point is that the sheep know the shepherd. Sheep will respond to their master's voice, even if they aren't quite sure what the master is instructing them to do. They still know it's their master's voice, and they listen. It's the only way we can ever have that relationship with God. We have to listen and respond to God when he speaks. So how do we hear God's voice? When do we know that God is speaking to us? We're going to walk through it so you can build that relationship, even if you aren't sure what God is saying. When you know God's voice, 
you'll get better and better at understanding what it is he is saying. So how does God speak? The first way is something called general revelation. It's something that is available to everyone. People may not recognize it as God's voice, but these are the ways God is speaking if we are willing to listen. We can hear God speak in nature, art, or life experience. Have you ever heard someone say that they are going to church when they go to take a walk in the woods or hike up a mountain? This is what they're talking about. God is revealed in the creation. Think for a moment about the teachings of Jesus. Over and over, he uses metaphors from creation. The mustard seed, the fig tree, the weeds and wheat. The natural world can reveal many things about God. When you see an exquisite work of art or maybe you watch a movie and are touched so deeply by the characters, that's general revelation too. I often sit with people who are sick in the hospital or homebound or are in the midst of terrible tragedy. Their stories that they tell are not about inevitable defeat. They're working on finding hope and meaning while things are not going right. That is courageous work that inspires us and can be a way for us to hear from God. There's also our conscience, our gut feeling or intuition, and our reasoning. These are all ways to hear from God and allow us to respond to God's will for our lives. Now, these are all good things, and you might even be able to name other ways in which general revelation takes place, but there's a problem here as well. Not only can we hear from God through art and people and reason, we can also hear other things too. It would not be unusual for two people to witness the same thing and draw completely opposite conclusions. People can misunderstand God's voice, especially because general revelation is general. It's vague. It can point you in the right direction maybe, but it may not give you a clear answer. So there is more than just general revelation available to us. There's something else, too, called special revelation. Special revelation can be similar to reason and intuition, but instead of people speaking, special revelation is about the Holy Spirit speaking. Now, this can be a tricky one to figure out whether the Holy Spirit is speaking or if it's just your brain or just your friend saying their opinion. One idea that's been helpful to guide me in discerning whether it's the Holy Spirit or me is checking whether it's something I would typically think of myself. Let me give an example. A couple of weeks ago, the church board and the finance team met together to talk over a financial matter in the church. And as we were talking, uh, Terry Stevens, who is here with us this morning, she shared her perspective, and I found myself thinking of the situation in a different way, and we had some discussion there. And after the meeting was over, I was sitting in my office mulling things over, and I had a very prayerful moment, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak. In fact, I felt the presence of God on me in that very moment, and the Spirit said, Brian, uh, notice the Holy Spirit doesn't call me Pastor Brian, uh, <laughs> Brian, she's not wrong. My spirit is at work in her too. And I felt an overwhelming sense of God's love for her. Now, I wish I could feel that all the time for everyone. I wish I could walk into every meeting, every encounter with people sensing the spirit and sensing God's love, but I don't. It is 
especially rare if I happen to disagree with you on a topic. But somehow, the Spirit was at work, and I called up Terry, and we had a beautiful conversation. There was mutuality. There was, there was care for one another. God allowed me to not be a lunkhead for five minutes so I could speak from a sense of God's incredible love for her. In the end, the decision about money was important, but not nearly as important as, as Terry is. The Spirit leads us to consider an alternative perspective, one that has God's will and God's agenda at its center. It happens to me when I read the scriptures and prepare a sermon. It happens to me when I listen to the choir sing on Sunday mornings. The Spirit moves in powerful ways. And this is God's special revelation to the world. Now, just like general revelation, special revelation is not always straightforward. We can be deceived and not know whether something is actually from the Spirit or not. Human thought, our subconscious, or opinions can masquerade as the spirit. That's why 1 John 4:1 reminds us to test the spirits. We want to make sure we are really hearing from God. I found in my life that this is the hardest part of walking with God. And there really is only one way to be sure whether what we hear from general or special revelation is truly from God, and that is through study of the Bible. Here in the U.S., most people own a Bible. Surveys say 87% of people own one. Yet when it comes to even reading it, let alone really studying it, only 35% of people say they read it on a weekly basis. There is certainly room for most of us to improve the amount of time we read the Bible, as well as how often we spend time studying it to really understand it. We know Jesus took the time. He is regularly quoting from the scriptures. He would have read and memorized all of Torah, the first five books of the Bible, by the age of 10. Jesus used it in his prayer life and lived his life according to the scriptures as well. Clearly, it had a huge influence on him. And then we have the Gospels, which is the part of the New Testament that tells us about the life of Jesus. Acts is the history of the apostles after Jesus' ascension into heaven then the epistles are the letters to all these small groups of Christians, helping them to figure out how to walk in this new way as Christians. And then the Bible ends with Revelation, a cryptic but hopeful book about the suffering that happens to Christians. It's a book that reminds us that even when our culture turns against us, we need to remain faithful to Jesus. And how at the end of time, Jesus, along with all Christians, will triumph over evil. It is a beautiful, powerful, and complex book. It deserves our study. And if someone tells you to just do what the Bible says without any help in how to interpret and understand it, don't listen to them. You can't just read the Bible and know what it means. That's simply impossible. It is steeped in history and allegory often not making straightforward comments about how to live, that's because the Bible is not a manual. It is a series of stories that reveal the heart and character of God. But it takes work to get there. It takes time to really understand it. 
I think of my family growing up. We were a family that went to church all the time. My dad even studied religion in college. But when it came to how we treated each other as a family, we left a lot to be desired. The part that sticks out the most to me is how we would argue about everything. Even little details where someone simply misspoke or could share in great detail about something, but one wrong statement was enough to discard everything that person said on the topic. We had a a habit, though, of having nasty arguments with each other and then saying at the end, I love you, and giving each other hugs. It seemed nice when I was young, but now I see how ridiculous that is. If you love someone, treat them in loving ways. Don't attack them, rejecting everything they say only to turn around and tell them you love them. That's false. That's not love. That's manipulation. And the reason I know that's not love is because I continue to study the scriptures and let them speak into my life, influencing my walk with God and how I walk with others. If you've never read the Bible, I want to invite you to try it out. Spend the rest of Lent reading five verses of scripture a day. It won't take you more than a minute a day to do that. Find an easy to understand translation of the Bible. Download the free U version of the Bible on your on your smartphone where you can look up a hundred different translations of the Bible. I love NIV and the message. You can also pick reading plans that will give you reminders on your phone to read and give some insight into what you're reading. Five verses a day. If you've been reading the scriptures uh, for some time now, I invite you to a different challenge. How about reading five chapters a day during Lent? It takes a little time, but diving into the scriptures is the one way we can become more confident about hearing God's voice. I really hope you'll take up this challenge because of how important it is. There was a, a big church out in Illinois. They had thousands of people in worship every week, and they asked themselves, how are we really helping people become deeper disciples of Christ? They did a big research project, and the answer stunned them. The answer was they weren't making disciples. No one was growing. They were just gathering a crowd. So they went back to the drawing board, researched a thousand other churches, and found that the single most important thing you can do to help a person become a deeper disciple of Christ was to have them read scripture for themselves and help them better understand it. I found it to be true in my own journey too. For me, each step to a better walk with God was accompanied by deep reflection on the scriptures. So I hope you'll take this challenge seriously. Five verses or five chapters a day. Uh, You know, as beautiful as the scriptures are, and as important as they are to our faith, the goal, the point of all this studying, is not knowing the Bible, or even reflecting on it for our own personal benefit. The point of our study is to know Jesus, and to live like Jesus. He is the word made flesh. So how do we know Jesus? Through prayer, experience, studying with others, and most importantly, by what we see in the Gospels, the life of Jesus himself. We live and yield our lives to Jesus. Start to read. Maybe begin a plan. Connect with a small group that can encourage you in reading the scriptures. So you can draw deeper into a faith 
that is lived as Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.